informed with your community. The Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here. And joining us online now is Clayton Truder. And he has been the author of a number of books. We had him on uh, last year about the book on the Atlanta Braves called Loserville. Um, Loserville no more. But now he's written a new book called Boston Ball. Uh, good morning, Clayton. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And first of all, I want to start out saying uh, that, Clayton, you actually grew up in Vermont, right? And now live in, in Burlington? Yeah, I, I grew up in Burlington. I live in Burlington now. I, I teach at Norwich. I'm a graduate of Rice and UVM and Christ the King, so I'm I'm very much a Chittenden County guy. Hey, my my son's a senior at Rice. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> yeah, he's loving it. This is interesting. This is really interesting. That and I'm not a sports guy, but the fact that these uh, th- this really is a, a lesson in in perseverance, isn't it? Th- these coaches together in Boston figured out a, a way not only to I mean make their programs work but really kind of transform college basketball absolutely I view this book as an origin story for modern college basketball the coaches featured in the book are Jim Calhoun who before being at UConn was coaching at Northeastern Rick Pitino before coaching everywhere was coaching at Boston University and Gary Williams coached at BC before he ended up coaching at Ohio State and more famously at Maryland um, before these guys go on to Hall of Fame careers, winning collectively six national titles, going to 14 Final Fours, winning 2,300 games, they're all cutting their teeth in front of very modest crowds in Boston. And this is happening all simultaneously. And I got the idea for the book in part when I was living in Boston. I went to graduate school at uh, BC. And it struck me it was odd that nobody had written about this, that these three different Hall of Fame coaches were all beginning their career at roughly the same time in the city. Um, and uh, that, that's the genesis of Boston Ball. Moreover, they all take a bit of a stylistic turn from what was happening in college basketball at the time. In the 1970s, the game is very much dominated by big men like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Walton, Bob Lanier, Artis Gilmore. These schools were relatively minor programs that couldn't recruit those kind of guys. These guys tended to find diamonds in the rough, went for smaller, quicker guys, and played a very up-tempo style of basketball, both fast-breaking on offense and also pressing and trapping on defense. Yeah, because they didn't have the resources to go for the big the big physically big guys, uh, it's, it's kind of more like a scrappy kind of high-speed high, high, high uh, matchup. Very much so. When, when opponents played these programs, they didn't know what hit them, particularly <laughs> uh, Rick Pitino at BU. At BU, had played a very slow-paced, um, pedantic kind of game, I guess you could say. Then all of a sudden, it's like a kamikaze playing against them. People who had played the same guys 12 months earlier had no idea what hit them. When they, were, when they were playing BU. And in many ways, this kind of small ball approach to basketball ends up being the way a lot of the college game was played in the 90s and the early 2000s um, when these coaches are all winning their championships. And, and from a spectator's uh, perspective, it's more exciting. I mean, you like to catch them off guard, you know, uh, but, but it's, a, it's a quicker game too, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. These were all very exciting teams to watch. Interestingly, though, except for BC, the team struggled with attendance. Boston being very much a pro sports town, um, this is what the students they were focused on, either pro sports or just enjoying the amenities of the city. Um, BU, Rick Pitino was out on Commonwealth Avenue handing out free tickets before games sometimes. It was almost like being in a garage band coaching a college basketball 
team at BU in the early 80s because there was so little interest in it, despite this team going to the school's first NCAA tournament uh, in a quarter century in 1983. And, uh, of course, in this book, is there's a little section, a couple of pages, where our own Tom Brennan, longtime coach of the University Catamounts men's basketball team, is quoted in here. And uh, can you talk about that just a little bit, just in terms of the local connection with uh, legendary coach Tom Brennan in Vermont? Oh, absolutely. I had a great show, coach, uh, great chat with Coach Brennan about his experiences. He knew all three guys fairly well, particularly Gary Williams, whom uh, Gary Williams' first college coaching job was at Lafayette, and Coach Brennan was living in the area at the time and would frequently referee scrimmages between uh, Lafayette and other area opponents. And when you talk about Gary Williams, the first word almost everybody who ever describes, whoever talks about him uses to describe him is intense. And even in these scrimmages, he's sweating through his suit within five minutes of the game starting, breaking any pencil that ends up in his hand, and, and, and just, just going mad within a few minutes of the game starting. And that very much was his persona throughout his coaching career. I had the pleasure to talk with him personally, though, and he was a very lovely guy to chat with and uh, had a lot, of great, a lot of great recollections of this era. Uh, in particular, it struck me the quality of his memory about his players. Forty years later, he remembered what all these guys on BC majored in when he was coaching them back in the early 1980s. So there, this is also in many ways a book of relationships, too, relationships between players and coaches, among teammates. These are a group of young men all the way from home for the first time, dealing in a very intense set of experiences. I won't go into all the details. There's some tragedies that befall these teams during this time period, and that, that ends up bringing them closer together. Um, these these intense moments they share, and uh, again, these of course these are coaches that are that are of course associated with other teams as they went on to fame in other places uh, like UConn, et, et cetera, and as you mentioned, Rick Pitino with a, no, a number of different places. Uh, but um, how did how did these coaches go from from the, the small time that they were at least comparatively small onto the great successes that they had elsewhere, and, and how did this their experience in the Boston area lead them to this? In each instance, I think bigger programs looked at them and thought, if they can win in these places, they can win anywhere. Even B.C., which was in the Big East at the time period, they were almost always picked for the bottom of the conference because the guys they were recruiting were not the blue bloods of high school basketball. They were getting guys who had been overlooked for one reason or another, and B.C. always surprised everybody. They were kind of the secret power of the early Big East in the world of Villanova and Georgetown and Syracuse and St. John's, BC went to the Sweet 16 four out of five years in the early 80s. They, uh, they won the league regular season title twice. So these guys found a way to win in spite of having very difficult challenges in front of them. And the major programs and the big conferences all saw this. And did you get a chance, uh, Clayton, did you get a chance to talk to the three coaches themselves in preparing for this book? I spoke, I spoke to two of them. Gary Williams I spoke with for maybe an hour, and he was, he was very pleasant to deal with and had, had a nice chat. Uh, Jim Calhoun, within five minutes of talking to him, it was like sitting down next to an old buddy at the Elks Club having a beer. I mean, we talked for two hours about all sorts of things, uh, many of them related to the book, but he was just hes a great conversationalist, certainly has the gift of gab, and uh, was, was a great guy to talk to. I wasn't able to talk to Rick Pitino, as people I'm sure have seen. He's had some contentious moments in recent years. Uh, with the press, and I, th- I think he might have been a little gun-shy on talking to me. He was also in the process of moving back up into a big-time job, but uh, nonetheless, I spoke with 25 people, former players, uh, assistant coaches, uh, staff members at BU who worked with him during the early 80s, 
So hopefully I give a good portrait of that time period as well in the BU program. Now we know that uh, these three coaches, kind of legendary coaches that went on to tremendous success in other places, but what did they, um, talk about the mark they left before that with the, with the schools that they coached. How did that impact the basketball going forward in the Boston area? At, at the, yeah, oh, well, in a couple of ways. First of all, this is all happening in the shadow of the, the Boston Celtics in the midst of their 1980s dynasty. Probably as much as any time in the history of Boston, college, college basketball made a genuine footprint in the area. At best, it's the number five sport after the, the four major pro sports in town. So certainly they were getting a lot more attention as a result of it. Um, also, in terms of the particular schools, Northeastern established itself as probably the best mid-major college basketball program of the 1980s. They scored three, three upsets in a row in the NCAA tournament. Um, they went to the tournament six out of seven years. They were sort of like the Gonzaga of their era. They were the, the team from a minor conference that nobody wanted to play. In terms, in terms of BU, BU was able to move into a bigger building for playing as a result of, uh, as a result of uh, their success in the early 80s. They had played at basically what was like a high school gym and ended up moving into the hockey rink, uh, the Walter Brown Arena, which has since ceased to be BU's uh, hockey rink and started playing their games there. Gary Williams, in essence, got a new building built at BC. BC had played at the Roberts Center, which was sort of like a bowling alley, was their gym, and they, had, they ended up building Conti Forum, which is a big kind of state-of-the-art 10,000-seat venue for hockey and basketball as a result of the success the team enjoyed in the early 80s. So just in terms of the physical landscape of each campus, there's a significant a- impact that uh, the success in this time period had. Even if people don't know about it 35, 40 years later, um, it's, it's still physically there. It's also interesting the degree to which these guys haven't really talked about this aspect of their past, despite their great success. All three of them have written memoirs. Gary Williams talks about his time at BC in four pages. Calhoun spends two slim chapters on his 14 years at Northeastern. And Patino mentions his time at BU in like three pages in his most recent memoir. So this is a very uncovered, uh, p- undercovered period of uh, college basketball history. And it really did transform college basketball. Very, very much so. I mean, these guys are the guys winning national titles in the late 90s and early 2000s. The stylistic change in college basketball is also reflected the more up-tempo style of play in the 90s and 2000s. It's certainly built around what these guys are doing these are also the coaches who evolved with college basketball, too. During the 1980s when all this is happening, this is when the three-pointer comes into college basketball, right. the shot clock. You're starting to have the expansion of the NCAA tournament to being a 64-team tournament. Back when Calhoun started at Northeastern, it was a 25-team field. And finally, you also have major conference realignment. With the creation of the Big East Conference in 1979, the entirety of Eastern college basketball got shook up. So everybody's looking for a new conference home. Northeastern and BU ended up in what's called the ECAC North, as well as Vermont in that time period. That's the predecessor to which to to the America East, which Vermont dominates now. And Clayton, um, when you talk about, of course, Rick Pitino, Jim Calhoun, Gary Williams, um, and that they unknowingly created or invented Boston Ball, if somebody didn't know what that means, what, how would you describe that? What they what, what it was that they invented that you'd refer to as Boston Ball? I'm referring to what basketball historians have in the past called the city game, meaning this, this style of play that's very up-tempo, aggressive, uh, built on tough, stout defense with fast-breaking and trapping, a fast-break offense, 
in many ways, this seemingly new thing they were doing is hearkening back to something old in basketball. Back in the 1950s, schools like the City College of New York, which won a national title, like Holy Cross that they were playing back then, they didn't rely on, on pounding the ball into a seven-foot guy and having him put it in the basket. They were working their way around the gym and, and, and out, um, out hustling, um, out, uh, out playing their opponents in this respect. So by Boston ball, I'm referring to this very up-tempo city style of basketball that, that comes back into vogue as a result of what's happening, uh, happening in Boston in the time period. Well, no question. It's a great book. We encourage people if you, uh, this is a great bo- basketball story called Boston Ball. Rick Patino, Jim Calhoun, Gary Williams, and the Forgotten Cradle of Basketball Coaches. And there's a couple, three pages about our own Tom Brennan in there. And of course, Clayton Truder is a Vermont native, grew up in and lives in Burlington, Vermont, and teaches at Norwich. So uh, all the all, all the more, all the better, more reason to uh, purchase this book. But it's a great book, and you can get this at uh, all bookstores. Um, it, it's 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 just getting into bookstores now. If you go to Amazon, Barnes Noble, Target, any of the typical online book retailers, you can order it right now. All right, Clayton, thanks for being on the Morning Drive today. We encourage people to go out and get this book. It is a very good book about uh, Boston Ball, as it's named. And uh, if you, and of course, with Christmas approaching, it's also a great, uh, great gift to give someone who loves basketball. So, Clayton, thanks for being on the morning drive today. My pleasure. If you buy a copy of it, get in touch with me on social media. I'll send you a signed book plate as thanks. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's cool. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I, and to, to find out that it happened uh, so close to home, uh, it, it's a captivating. Uh, and it changed, it changed basketball, changed college basketball forever. So thank you very much, Clayton.